Hey friends, welcome to the Ridgedale Students Podcast. Ridgedale Student Ministry is a family of middle and high school students at Ridgedale Baptist Church following the way of Jesus together in Chattanooga, Tennessee. If you'd like more information on all things RSM, you can find us at ridgedalebaptist.org students or on our social media pages. Thanks for stopping by and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. Welcome back to the seventh episode of our summer series on the Beatitudes. We've already recorded one episode today, and so we're hitting you with episode number two as we look at Blessed Are the Pure in Heart. Anna Kate, though, next week, a week from today, is our first house night of the semester. That's crazy. What are you most excited for as we get back into our fall programming? Um, Is everything... An okay answer. That's totally acceptable. I'm most looking yeah. forward to everything. Yeah. For next week specifically, I was pumped that we're all going to be back together on Wednesday nights. I have really missed that consistency mm-hmm. with the RS with RSM because we're together on Sundays, but it's just it just hits different when we're together on Wednesday nights. So it's I'm true. pumped about it. What about you? What are you most excited for? I honestly can't wait until Far Retreat. Far Retreat this mm-hmm. year. It's always been good, but I just feel like there's something like special that's brewing for Fall Retreat this year. Um, we're at 49 people going with us. Last year we took 50. So it's just kind of hard to like look away and be like, oh my gosh, what, like what's going to happen? So I'm really pumped for fall retreat this semester. Um, Do you have a particular series that you're most excited for at house nights? I think I'm most looking forward to honor and blessing. That's going to be at the end of the Mm -hmm. semester. But I'm also looking forward to the Image series. Mm. What about you? Yeah, Image would have to be mine. I think Image is going to be the one that most of my like time and attention goes into because it's such a big topic. And so I'm really looking forward to teaching through the Image series. But also very pumped after our, our conversation yesterday mm-hmm. for the three stories we all live. I'm really pumped to teach through that series. And so it's all going to be good. But I'm just looking forward to house nights in general. Me too. So we're now in the latter half of the Beatitudes. We have two Beatitudes left after this. But before we get to those, can you read us our sixth Beatitude? Yes. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Chris, am I the only one that's a little bit confused? Because number one, how can we be pure in heart? Mm. And what does it mean, are Jesus saying they will see God? Yeah. a little confusing. Yeah, I think this particularly is probably the most confusing of all of them because we read pure in heart, and I don't know about you, but for me, immediately I think of perfect, um, that we have to be perfect to be considered pure in heart, um, which we all, if we're true and honest with ourselves, we feel that we're not perfect. um, So we're not pure in heart. And then that can even lead us to the question, well, will I get to see God? Um, what will this mean for me if I don't feel pure in heart? Will I receive this blessing of getting to see and encounter God? And so I think there's a lot of good that's going to come from our, our conversation today. But uh, yeah, this is a complex beatitude, but I think it's one that it's really important we understand. Absolutely. So what are we going to be looking at in this episode? So we've switched it up a little bit this episode. Um, We are going to look at who are the pure in heart first. Um, But then after that, rather than asking why is Jesus blessing this group, I want us to ask what does Jesus' blessing mean? Um, What does it mean that we'll see God? 
And then finally, we'll close out, as we always do, with what does this reveal to us about God? All right. I'm super pumped. Let's get started. Let's do it. Okay, so the first thing we're going to be looking at is who are the pure in heart? Chris, what is being communicated to us when we look at this beatitude? I'm really glad you asked, Anna Kate. Uh, so Eugene Peterson, when he translates the message in Matthew 5, 8, translates it this way. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Peterson here is getting at this interpretation of this beatitude that describes purity of heart as a right ordering of our inner life. <clears throat> so I think that this can be confusing for so many of us, especially for us coming from a Baptist context where we prioritize typically the mind over the body or the spirit. Uh, for example, we love getting right knowledge, but right knowledge is insufficient for removing a heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. So Peterson then is on the right track, I think, in helping us understand who the pure in heart are. They're people who have figured out something revelatory in their inner lives. So when we look back at the rest of the previous Beatitudes, one thing that we've consistently pointed out, and this is from episode one all the way through, is that these the Beatitudes are not timeless truths. So the merciful will be shown mercy. That's not a timeless truth. They're typically not shown mercy, like we talked about already. Um, and they're not moral values. It's not telling us that we should be pure in heart in order to receive blessing from God. It's, it's a statement about the state of the person after having encountered Jesus supernaturally. And once you've encountered Jesus supernaturally, these things begin to be embedded into our lives after that encounter. So we don't wake up one day and decide, that, oh, today I'm going to be merciful, or I'm going to be pure in, poor in spirit, or I'm going to be meek. We encounter the living God, we encounter Jesus, and then are transformed by that encounter to the point that it changes things about our entire person. And so Jesus makes us merciful, or he makes us poor in spirit, or he makes us meek. So from looking at the context and the text itself, then, it would seem that purity of heart is a mixing together of all the previous Beatitudes. It's all the things that we've mentioned so far in the series, but these things have taken root in the inner life of the believer. But what does that mean practically? Like we can't just leave it in the air or leave it in the, the ether like that. It's really easy for us, like I said before, to read pure in heart and then immediately hear perfect. But what have we learned from the other Beatitudes? The poor in spirit are not perfect. They have deep need, both spiritual and physical, and they come to God needy. So they're not perfect. Those who mourn are the beat down, who find comfort in God. Life is not perfect for the mourning. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are not perfected spiritual heroes. They're zeros who long for more of what they encounter in the person of Jesus. The pure in heart are not the perfect. If you're listening to this right now, you don't have to be perfect in order to see God, or in order to be considered pure in heart. They're people who have encountered God in the person of Jesus, and now they actively order their lives around the qualities that they encountered in him by incorporating him into all of life. Christian philosopher Peter Kreef says, We attain purity of heart not by imitation of Christ, 
but by incorporation into Christ. Purity of heart is not just us acting like Jesus in one space or in another space or in multiple spaces. It's us being overwhelmed by Jesus and seeking him in all of life while also sweeping out all that remains of our prior life. It's John the Baptist in John 3.30 declaring, He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. And kid, I'm curious, like this is a big topic. How do we pursue this in our life? How do we pursue purity of heart? I think it's important, one, to like give yourself grace. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, we're not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can start by practicing the things that Jesus practiced. Like mm-hmm. We can sp- start by communicating with the Father through prayer. Mm-hmm. We can start by like setting the scripture for ourselves, living in community, um, and pursuing the things that Jesus pursued as our focus and not just like, to, go, to compartmentalize on a Sunday or a Wednesday. Hmm. I agree. It's it's so easy for us to come into this whole thing with the assumption that we've got to become Jesus somehow. Like incorporating Jesus into our life means that we just magically one day wake up and we're Jesus. But it's so necessary for us to reframe that vision into, I'm not becoming Jesus. I am gradually taking the steps to incorporate the life of Jesus into my own life. And over the span of an entire lifetime, we then begin to look periodically more and more and more like Jesus until in perfection, we are purified in heart. So it's not current, it's lifetime trajectory of being made more into the image of Jesus. I think it's so necessary for us to understand and grasp that as we look at this beatitude. So what then does it mean that these pure in heart are going to see God? That's the big, big question in all of this. So let's look at that. Anna Kate, I want to ask a difficult theological question. Let's hear it. Can people see God? No, they can't. You think about like Moses, whenever he was like God, can I please see you when you pass by? And God's like, actually, no, you can't. You're mm-hmm. welcome to stand in the cleft of this rock and see the back of me. Mm-hmm. Um, some people got to see God the Son. Yeah. And Jesus, whenever he was here. Yeah. But no. Okay. They, they can't. I, I would agree with you. I think we see, when we look at John's gospel, the very beginning says, no one has seen God, the invisible God. But then Jesus comes and something changes. Creation is invaded by God in human flesh. And at that point, we're able to see and encounter God in person. But we look around us today and Jesus is no longer with us. So does this beatitude have some sort of expiration date at the crucifixion or the resurrection or the ascension of Jesus? Do today's pure in heart people just miss out on this blessing? I think for us to begin understanding this blessing, we have to go see some sheep and some goats. That's true. So you look over at Matthew 25. <clears throat> at the end of the chapter, Jesus tells a parable about sheep and goats. where The two groups are gathered together with the sheep being ushered into God's presence and the goats being banished from his presence eternally. In the middle of this passage, we see Jesus give a justification for why the sheep get to enter God's presence, why they get to see God. It says this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom 
prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and close you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. See, what Jesus seems to be getting at in this parable then is that there is a relationship between those who belong to him serving the least of these and their eventual seeing God fully in his presence. I think like Peterson's paraphrase that I mentioned earlier at the beginning of this episode, there's an element to seeing God that takes place here. Now as we traverse the world that God has placed us in, we have opportunity to see God even daily. As we're consumed by a vision of Jesus to the point that we sweep out the cobwebs of our old life and push all our chips into being incorporated into the life of Jesus here and now, we will see God in all the most unlikely places and in the most unlikely faces because he tells us that we'll meet him there. It's true, isn't it, that in the seasons where we're most attuned to the life of God in our own lives, that we see the world differently. It's just natural. We wake up and we see people in a different light. We see the houseless on the street, not as just obstacles to move past, but as people who are in need of the love and the dignity that God bestows on all his creation. We see the child that isn't just a dependent to be cared for, but who's a soul to be loved and nurtured with the tender affection that God has loved us with. We never see more clearly than when we see with the eyes of God. I think this is such a beautiful and profound truth. But even as I say that, I think there's a catch. The reality is that while we may encounter God in the least of these, in the child, the houseless person, the single mother, the abandoned orphan, they are not God. So what does Jesus mean then that the pure in heart will see God? What will the pure in heart actually see? If I'm being perfectly honest, I, I just simply don't know. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay because while God has revealed himself to us in part, and while he is not a God of confusion or disorder, but of clarity, he is still a God that is mysterious. What does it mean that the pure in heart will be blessed by seeing God? I, I don't know. But whatever it means, whatever they will see, I want to see that for myself. I want to see it because I believe fully that it's going to be more beautiful than our minds currently can comprehend. And it's mysterious and it's difficult for us to wrestle with, but I think it's okay for us to step into the mystery of God and be all right with not having the answers. And Kate, I think we're so conditioned in the church today to demystify Christianity, but we have to admit that there's mystery to God. What sorts of things have you found helpful in your walk when it comes to the mystery of God? I think when it comes to the mystery and the unknown, I'm a person that really likes to know everything mm-hmm. and be in control of all things. So when it comes to like the mystery of God and not knowing things, I like to start by reminding myself of what I know to be true about him. Like thinking mm-hmm. back to his character. Like I know he 
um, is with me. And I know mm-hmm. that he's kind. I know that he keeps his promises. So when things feel like, okay, what in the world is happening? Or like, how do you explain this? Well, we know that God keeps his word. Mm-hmm. So we know that he's going to protect us. Yeah. Um, so I just like, think about his characteristics I know to be true. I feel that too. My like inclination is always like to know the answer. I always want to be able to give the answer. And it's funny because I train leaders and I even train myself at times to be okay with saying, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but let me find that for you. And the simple fact is there are some things that we just don't have comprehension for right now. Um, No matter how much education, no matter how much spiritual formation we've undergone, there are things about God that we simply do not understand this side of eternity. And that's okay because if God were understandable in like perfect understanding right now, he wouldn't be God. There's a quote out there about that somewhere, but I, I don't have it on hand. And we will spend that eternity that we get to enjoy with God learning those mysteries. But I think for right now, it's okay for us to just step into the mystery of God and be okay not always having the answers. And so we've gone a lot of places right now, but we have to close, as we always do, with what does this reveal to us about God? So, Anna Kate, what does this reveal to you about God? I think... It just reminds me, I think I said this on the last podcast too, it like reminds me of who I am and who God is. Mm. It reminds me that he created me and he sustains me. Mm. So like to be pure in heart, it is that's like my sanctification process. Mm. And God, I ha- he has to sustain every bit of that. Mm. Um, so yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, I okay. think it makes sense. I think for me, this beatitude and particularly the blessing that comes along with it, it really confirms to me the fact that God knows that what is best for me is ultimately himself. There's so many like physically appealing blessings that precede this beatitude. And you've got people inheriting the earth or being comforted or being given the mercy of God. But at the end of the day, all of these things without seeing God himself are worthless. So this beatitude, it serves almost as a reminder for me that when my life is most aligned with God, the blessing that I truly receive is the best blessing of all. It's seeing God himself. That's good. And Kate, any last thoughts before we sign off? No. Nope. Well, that is the end of episode seven of our podcast summer series on the Beatitudes. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode that will be coming out next week on our seventh beatitude, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Anna Kate, take us away. All right, RSM. Also, I wanted to give a shout out. All of our Hamilton County kids, happy first day of school. Yeah. Just remember, when you're out there at school, don't sweat the petty things. Don't pet the sweaty things. We love you so much. We love you guys. We'll see you next week for house night. Later. <laughs>